Thanks for joining us today on the Harvest Podcast. Before we go to today's message, we want to invite you to check out our website, www.harvestagokc.com. Again, that's harvestagokc.com. Now here's today's message. We pray that it will bless your life as you listen. Well, if you have your Bibles, why don't you go to... um... Matthew chapter 6, and stick a marker over in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to look at several verses, but that'll be a good place for you to, uh, to stick a marker at, okay? I love it. I love being together with you as a church family. I love worshiping together and seeing what God can do. I'm excited about what God's doing in and through us, Amen. Well, today is going to be the, uh, the last sermon in this little mini-series that we've been talking about taking God at his word. We've talked about um, several things. We've talked about giving that feels good. We've talked about the blessing of tithing. And we've talked about developing a practical plan. God's good. Today, uh, I just want to, I want to brag on you for a moment. Many of you have really taken this journey seriously and have examined your giving habits and patterns along with the companion book that we've been going through, the Taking God at His Word book that we've been going through a week at a time. And by this time, hopefully, you've completed it with your family. But I want to brag on you because, number one, you have been one of the most faithful, generous churches I've ever known. But as we've gone through this series and as we've challenged each and every one of us to examine our own personal giving habits and our giving patterns, The way that many of you have stepped up like never before has been truly uh, astonishing because you're taking God at his word and you're putting his word into practice. And the stories and the the testimonies that we've heard time and time again over the last several weeks has been, I'm trusting God in this and look what God has done. And so I want to just challenge you this morning, if if even still at this juncture and and you've listened to the last three weeks and you've, you've heard what we've talked about. Even at this juncture, if you're saying, you know what, I'm still not sure. I hope that by the end of, of today's message, you're going, there's no way I'm going to hold back. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to take him at his word and I'm going to put it into practice and know that God's going to see us through. And so, first of all, kudos to you because, man, you guys have hit a home run. I love seeing what God's doing in your life and hearing about the reports of God's blessing. And I'm looking forward to even more of that as we continue to trust God through it. I heard a guy... Uh, years ago, um, years and years ago, his name's Bob Leverton. Bob's gone to be with the Lord, I believe. But Bob told me a long time ago, he had owned an auto body shop. And, uh, and he said, when Pastor Schaefer started teaching about giving and receiving, about how you, you give and, and trust the Lord that he's going to do it, he said, I took that literally. And I gave as much as I could to the Lord. And he gave more back. <laughs> and I just remember laughing because I thought, Okay. He said, I just trusted that God would do it. And look what God has done in my life. But that was a lifetime of trusting in the Lord. And I want that to be the testimony that we have as well, that we share together. Man, I've trusted God and look what God has done. And so today, I want to talk to you about the joy of generosity. That's today's sermon title, The Joy of Generosity. There's nothing better for our hearts, our souls, and our spirits than to develop a generous attitude, a generous life that overflows in not just in are we generous with our, with our finances, but are we generous in every area of our life. If we're going to experience the joy of generosity, we've got to stay faithful to God. 
We've got to stay loyal to the church, and we've got to live a legacy so that we can leave a legacy. Everybody loves the idea of leaving a legacy. I want something to be left to my family. You've got to live that first so you have something in order to give when it's all said and done. You know, in our, our family, we're big on making memories. You know, our, our, our children, you know, when, when it's all said and done, there may not be any money left for them to hang on to because we're spending it all as we go. That, that the inheritance, they better enjoy it while they're experiencing it because it's the way it's going to work, you know. But they're going to have a lifetime of memories if we have anything to say about it. You know what I'm saying? So yesterday, we had the opportunity to take the kids. Um, every year, we try to go to one OU home game. And yesterday, we got to go, and we got to take Cecily for the very first time to her first OU game. So we get down there, and we're walking, um, we're walking from where we had parked, north of Campus Corner. Uh, if you know anything about the campus, you understand what I'm talking about. And we're walking through Campus Corner and seeing all of the pageantry and, um, and the, the, the host of people. And, and it was just an incredible experience. So as we're walking along, she, I'm holding her hand, and she looks up at me. And you couldn't have scripted this. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. You couldn't have scripted this any better. She looks up at me, and she says, Daddy, is this heaven? <laughs> My heart swelled with pride, you know. <laughs> I said, no, no, baby, it's not. It's just Norman, you know. You couldn't have scripted it any better, though. It was perfect timing. We're going to have a lifetime of memories left, right? We all want that. We all want to have a lifetime of memories to share with our family. But if we don't teach the next generation that there's a faithfulness to God, that a debt of faithfulness that we owe him, then we're missing out on what God wants to do in and through our lives. Because we've got to stay faithful. Our first point this morning is we've got to stay faithful to God. Spiritual growth is vital for faithfulness. It's true. If, we don't, if we're not growing spiritually, how many of you have ever found this to be true in your life? If you're not growing spiritually, it's easy to get off course. Things begin to not matter nearly as much. But as we remain faithful to the Lord, as we grow, it helps our faithfulness to remain. In Matthew 6, 21, it's a verse that we've used several weeks, but I want to look at it one more time because it says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. As we remain faithful and we continue to invest, there's a, a return on that that we get. You see, in our marriages, if we remain on the same level in our marriage relationship with our spouse, year after year, there's not much of a relationship down the road. Because when you get started, if you don't make investments and deposits in that love bank, if you will, if you don't make deposits there, there's, there over time, you're going to naturally have withdrawals. You know, there, there are going to be times that you're going to have an intense moment of fellowship on the way to church. Right? You're going to get here, and you're going to have to put on a big, bright smile. You're going to feel like, oh, i got to be, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to have those moments. I looked at Rachel this morning. I said, I don't know what's going on. I've got a couple of my, things in mind. Uh, but, you know, right, right now, I'm just kind of, I don't know what it is, but I'm just kind of twisted right now. I'm just telling you that in case, you know, I bite your head off. I don't mean it. I don't know what's going on necessarily with me, but there's something that's happening. And we addressed it spiritually, and we prayed about it, and we dealt with it, and I got along with the Lord, and, you know, things begin to change. But you know what? There are going to be times that we need to have that. But you've got to have a growing relationship in order for there to be the ability to make deposits and withdrawals. If our relationships stay the same, not going to be much of a marriage when we get down the road. And that's the truth no matter, no matter what juncture you are. It takes time. See, as we grow closer to our spouse, our, ten, our attention becomes devoted to them because our relationship has grown and matured. Now, the longer that you stay married the less you need them to tell you what's on their mind, right? You, you kind of figure it out. You kind of learn that look, right? You know what I'm talking about. 
there have been plenty of times that Rachel has looked across the table at me and give me the, mm-hmm. And I went, oh, I shouldn't have said that, should I? You have to ask, right? You know what I'm talking about. You, you, we've all had those moments where, 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 you know, something gets said and your spouse looks at you and you're like, wow, I didn't mean that at all the way that it came out. And I'm, re- am I the only one who does that? Guys, you should be like, yeah, we're all in the doghouse together, brother. We, well, we feel you, you know. We, we, we all have those moments. Uh, Justin's excited. And so we, we all get it, right? We, we've all been there. You know what? Relationally, if we're not growing, our relationships tend, as they, as they acquiesce and as they get less and less attention, the relationship begins to sever. And things are just not the same. And eventually you take for granted the things that were really important to that person to begin with. We've got to maintain growth and continually be growing. That's the beautiful thing about God's Word. You could read it through every year. You could get a Bible reading program and read it through every single year, and every single year find something new that you didn't know about God through it. Why? Because it's a living book. In other words, this brings relationship with God front and center right in our own lives. That's why it's important to develop the discipline of reading the Bible and praying on a regular basis. I say daily. Some people say, as long as I can make it five out of seven, I'm good. Whatever floats your boat. I don't know how I could talk, not talk to my wife two days a week and continue maintaining a thriving relationship. Maybe she would like that. I don't know. But we've got to maintain a growing relationship or things get taken for granted. And just as our hearts have to mature, so must our service increase. Now, as you get older, you understand the things that matter most to your spouse, Right? The longer you've been in a relationship with them, things begin to, you, they, they begin to click. Well, in Romans, Paul addresses this in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. He says, according to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If it's prophecy, use it according to the standard of one's faith. If service, then use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. If giving, with generosity. Leading, with diligence. Showing mercy, with cheerfulness. Now, here Paul says that we've got to use our gifts. That's a good thing, right? Use the gifts you've been given. Use what God has placed inside of you. One of those gifts there is giving. I never, never really understood that until I began to really study this for this series. There are some people that have the gift of giving. That doesn't negate the rest of us from the responsibility to develop a gift, to, de- to develop a lifestyle of generosity, but we all have to use the gift that we've been given. We've got to develop that. We've got to use what we've been equipped to use nonetheless. If, we're, if, we're, if we aren't serving, we become more selfish. And that's just the truth. If we're not serving, if we're not doing something that requires something of us, we become more self-centered and more selfish, more self-focused. We begin, become inwardly attentive and not externally aware. We've got to get to the point where we're putting aside those things that don't really matter so that we can give our attention to what truly is important. If we become more selfish, it takes its toll on our relationships. Again, let me revert back to that uh, illustration of our marriage relationships, of our relationships with our spouse. See, if we're not going forward, we're not willing to serve in our, our, our spouse, then what's going to happen is we're eventually going to realize that something has gone awry in our marriage relationship. Here's what I mean by that. Now, I, I don't have the gift of cooking, some people are gifted with the gift of cooking. I wish I did. My granddad was a chef. My, my granddad could take nothing and make something extraordinary out of it. I still remember the time that he convinced my brother the reason spaghetti sauce is red is because he put ketchup in it. True story. 
So he always had a bottle of ketchup sitting next to the, to the stove while he was cooking just so that my brother would think, yep, there's ketchup in it. That's why that spaghetti sauce is red. Years later, we didn't know that my brother and I, because I had bought into that lie as well, but we, we didn't know that you didn't have to put ketchup in it to make the spaghetti sauce red. So we'd be cooking, and we always put some ketchup in it, because that's what granddad always did. He never put ketchup in it. He just made us think he did, you know? It's like what grandparents do. Yes, that's the way that it works. I, I, I don't have that gift of, of being a cook or a chef. I just don't have it. I, I, I like to pretend that I do. And what I mean by that is in the rare moments that I do cook, I flavor the mess out of that food. There have been times that Rachel will say, hey, listen, I want you to, we're going to have this tonight. I need you to to get this going and don't touch it. (laughs) What does that mean? Don't add anything to it. It won't be any good if I don't. It'll be just fine. If you keep messing with it, it ain't going to be any good. Nah, I don't know about that. I don't have that gift. There are times I, I make some really good scrambled eggs. And I can, I can microwave some good bacon. If it's already that preheated kind, you know, that you get from Sam's, you just throw it in the microwave. You guys feel me. You know what I'm talking about. So, so that's what I do, right? I throw it in there and I'll make breakfast from time to time, right? And it's not the, the food that counts. It's the act of service. It's the intent behind it that matters, right? It's the fact that she didn't have to do it. Now, that's an act of service. Now, I... My, my, we could get into love languages and all kinds of stuff here, and I'm not going to, but my natural gifting is acts of service. So when I'm in the doghouse, you know what I do really fast? Clean the house. <laughs> you know what Rachel wishes I would do? Shut my mouth. Right? Just quit saying it, and we won't have a problem. But no, I try to work my way out of it. I still haven't done what really mattered the most, right? It's the, the, the intent behind it matters. In our relationships, we've got to learn a generous side to us that we've got to be giving in order for our spouse, in order for our loved ones, our relationship to continue to go forward. It costs us something. David in the Old Testament said, I'll not give God something that cost me nothing. It's the same way. We've got to honor the Lord. We've got to honor our relationships. But as we honor the Lord with a generous heart, it's going to cost us something. We're going to have an idea of, hey, you know what? With that extra hundred bucks, I was planning on. And the Lord will speak to our heart and say, I want you to put that into missions today because I want to do this. And as we trust him, what we find out is we can't outgive God. We can be as generous as we want and find out there's someone even more generous in our life. And his name is Jehovah. His name is God, our Father. He is the one who supplies all of our needs. Amen? That's the relationship that we can have with God. And we've got to continue moving forward. Because generous giving produces spiritual growth. Now, I'm not saying, and I want to be careful how, how, how this comes across. I'm not saying that because you give, you're growing. Because I know a lot of people that have bought into the idea that I can give to get, and that's not the case. But you can't be a generous person like the Bible references. Because in the New Testament, let's be honest, tithe, it's there We've already, we've already addressed that. We tie this in the Bible. It's there on purpose. But in the New Testament, the mark of growth was radical generosity. What does it say that they did in Acts chapter 2? They brought everything they had. Brought it to the storehouse so that it could go to meet the needs of those around them. They were radically generous. They didn't just step back and say, here's, look what I've done. They said, you know what, I'm going to give, and I'm going to give above and beyond anything because they understood what price had been paid for them. They understood and were grateful, and it was a sign of that. Giving to the Lord helps keep our hearts sensitive to his priorities. 
It's easy to get off course, but when we're financially invested in it, our heart is there and we remain sensitive to what matters most to him. It's impossible to stay faithful to God without giving. If we're not giving, we can't remain faithful to the Lord. Why? Because we become self-focused instead of heaven-focused. God's word presents lots of people who generously give regardless of their income. Generosity is not an amount. Let me say that again. Generosity has nothing to do with an amount. Generosity has everything to do with the intent of our heart. Just like Jesus mentioned in Luke 21, 1 through 4, when he tells us about the poor widow who put in her two mites, and Jesus said, calls all the disciples together. Uh, a friend of mine in Arizona, he, he was uh, talking about this passage, and he said, Jesus was sitting by the offering box and used his Jesus powers to know how much this woman put in. And we all mocked him because he said his Jesus powers. Like he needed some Jesus powers. He was Jesus, you know what I'm saying? And so here he is, Jesus sitting there, and he says, get, calls all the disciples. It's like he starts whistling out loud, guys, come here. This woman put in way more than anybody else, and it was two mites. It was what we would look at as two pennies. It was next to nothing. Two pennies she had picked up off the ground, if you will. She puts them in the offering, and Jesus says she gave more than everybody else because she doesn't have anything left to live on. Her generosity was shown in the fact that without a miracle from God, there's no way she would be able to make it through the next day, through the next week. She had no provision left available, and yet she trusted God with those two small mites. In our lives, as Westerners, we go, oh my goodness, I don't make $65,000 a year. I'm so poor. Yet when we go to Africa, we see people that live on a dollar a day, and they're richer than anything we could imagine because their life is overflowing with life because they trust God with so much more they trust God in ways that we've not even begun to imagine why because it's not about an amount it's about the intent of their heart the second example we see in second Corinthians chapter 8 asks you to turn there Paul tells us about the churches in Macedonia and it says this in verses 1 through 4 it says we want you to know brothers about the grace of God granted to the churches in Macedonia during a severe testing by affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed into the wealth of their generosity. I testify that on their own, according to their ability and beyond their ability, they begged us incessantly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. Man, I love it. They wanted to be involved. Their, their poverty overflowed in their generosity. You talk about an oxymoron. Their poverty overflowed in their generosity. Does it have to do with an amount? No. It has to do with the intent of their heart. They were happy to give. Even in their lack, they were happy to invest in what God was doing. Does God need our actual amounts? No. You know why God doesn't need our amounts? Because he turned water into wine. He took uh, five loaves and, and a couple of fish and turned them into food for 5,000. Does he need our amounts? Absolutely not. He can take whatever we give at, with a generous heart and explode it into covering whatever it's going to cover. God has a way of using our willingness to create an amazing miracle. We all understand involuntary responses, right? We all, you get what an involuntary response is? It's kind of like when you go to the doctor and he taps you on the knee. Your, your leg just kicks, or it's supposed to. Let me say it that way. It's kind of like that cheer that naturally erupts whenever the Texas Longhorns lose. 
Or it's kind of like if someone gives you the option between Mexican food for lunch or Chinese food, and you naturally shout out Mexican food because that's the involuntary response of your stomach craving that you're hungry. It's just this involuntary response. You can't help it. It's what naturally comes out. Similarly, an involuntary response in this is when we give generously, the natural response is the natural response of gratitude and trust. When we generously give, we are naturally saying, I trust you, and I am going to put my hope and faith in what Jesus is doing. I trust you. It's my gratitude being returned to the Father. Generosity is the same way. It's the overflow of what the New Testament church did. Generosity was just who they were. When we realize that we've been received freely, who owns everything, has so graciously given to us, we can't help but give back to him in increasing measure. It's the overflow of a grateful heart. We've got to be faithful to what God is doing so that our heart stays centered where God wants it to be centered. Because if we neglect this important part of our spiritual life, we're going to give materialism a greater hold on our heart and our behavior. In Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Jesus said that he told them, watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Life is not the abundance of possessions. Life is found in the overflowing generosity to those who are in our lives. That's what what matters. We've got to be faithful. Not only do we have to be faithful, but we have to be loyal. We've got to be loyal. We've got to be loyal to the local church. See, the the local church, the Lord's church is like second family. How many of you have found that the church is like a family to you? Amen. Growing up as as a preacher's kid, we never lived near my grandparents growing up and so my grandparents were always in the church I always had a granny and a grandma someone who felt like it was okay for them to swap me because my parents weren't around you know what I'm saying never fail it's always been second family our our congregation is where where friends and family and loved ones are that's what matters to us Uh, this is where we learn to love God is together as a family it's the front lines for most of our Christian service when we, when we, the church, are doing well, we all feel better. There are key ingredients for a happy, happy and healthy church. Number one, life change. Seeing lives be changed around altars during worship, whether it's uh, uh, on our street ministry and seasons of change where we're meeting needs on, on a practical, radical basis, uh, that's, that's one method. A second element of it is a growing attendance. When we see more people coming in, that excites us. When we have excellent ministries like our, our children's ministry and our youth ministry and seasons of change and various others, so our 50-plus group, we have excellent ministries going on. We build deep relationships. How many of you have close personal relationships here in this church? I'm raising my hand. We have close yeah, we, we need those. That's what makes church what it is. The fifth element is strong resources, the ability to meet needs not only here but around the world. And we have that because of your faithfulness, because of your loyalty to the local church. Imagine how much more good the church could do if each person gave just one more dollar a week. Imagine. This is not a test. It's not a, you know, hey, give one more dollar a week. It's not it. But just imagine what could happen. Just Just one. The local church is the hope of the world. I want us to really grasp that. The local church is the hope of the world. And some of you are going to look at me like, you're crazy. I thought Jesus was the hope of the world. He he is. But we're his bride. We are his representation right here in this local community. Right here in our surrounding, in our city, in our state. We are a local church making a difference right here. We are together the bride of Christ, and the hope of the world. Why? Because we represent our heavenly father. We represent Jesus the son. We represent the soon coming king who is coming to make 
listen, he's getting ready to call his bride home. Look around at all that's going on in the world. I'm not trying to get into an end times message, but we've got to be aware, folks. We need to invest more now than we have ever invested personally, financially, relationally, so that we can see more people come to know Jesus because the end is drawing ever nearer. We've got to be ready. And we've got to do everything we can. And the more that we invest, the more resources we have at our disposal to reach more people here and in the city, in the state, and around the world. We've got to be invested there. We have a responsibility in the local church to act like we're the bride of Christ, to act like we're the hope of the world. Because church is our family, let's be loyal to one another. Not allowing backbiting and dissent and any of that uh, dissension to get involved. We've got to stay faithful to Christ, be loyal to Jesus and to the local church in order to leave a legacy. We're going to leave a legacy, but you can't leave a legacy until we first live one. Now, we all know Pastor Dan Schaefer's legacy here in Oklahoma City, as well as around the world, especially on the continent of Africa. We all know what part of Pastor Mike's legacy will be with all of the hundreds and hundreds of churches that he has personally helped to build on the continent of Africa. Now, here's the thing about both of them. They had to live that legacy before they could leave that legacy. People don't just all of a sudden say, well, they're one of the most generous people I've ever known. It doesn't just happen overnight. It happens after a lifetime of consistently doing that day in and day out. Sometimes legacy means planting shade trees for the next generation that you're not going to get to enjoy the shade from yourself. Don George was the one that I heard say that. Don George was one of Pastor Dan Schaefer's very best friends. And when I heard him say that, I thought, wow, now that is an amazing statement that I don't understand yet. Sometimes leaving a legacy is planting shade trees you'll never enjoy the fruit of. So when you plant shade trees, they take time to grow. It takes time to fill out. Sometimes you plant those knowing that you'll never get to enjoy them or see the benefit of them. But you plant them anyway for the next generation. And many of you, you are doing just that. You are planting shade trees that you're not going to get to enjoy the fruit of. We have kids that are coming in on a regular basis. In fact, this week alone, I want to just share this one, one testimony with you. This week alone, we had an incredible opportunity. We reached out to uh, uh, some friends locally who put together some resources. And we were able to buy clothes for kids it, that, that live right back here in these apartments. We don't do this all the time. Sometimes you do for one what you wish you could do for everybody else. But you just can't do it for everybody because we're not equipped there. We were able to clothe a family of uh, five or six children all at one time because when they showed up one day to church, they had shoes that didn't fit that, that, that we had already given them that now they're outgrown or broken. They had clothes that didn't fit. They were hand-me-downs. They were torn. They were tattered. And we were able to dignify them with some brand new clothes and an amazing thing. Amen? Amen. Now, I say that because... You never know. You and I, we never know what impact that's going to make in the long run. You see, we plant seeds there believing that there's going to be a return on those seeds, that investment that's given, that one day it's going to come back. And you never know. The next Billy Graham may be one of those kids that you help put clothes on. You never know. The next, uh, uh, the next amazing spiritual man or woman of God may come out of that that's going to lead a revival, that's going to shake our nation, and it's going to begin with students that they're around on a regular basis. We're planting shade trees that we may not enjoy the fruit of. But here's the thing. You plant them anyway. You plant them anyway, man. 
We've got to live the legacy in order to be able to leave a legacy. See, God's given us a, a, a vision and a desire and dreams to do greater things. We've got great dreams to fulfill with God's help. Our ministries and our facilities, they're committed to the Great Commission. Amen? Everything we do, everything we have is committed to one purpose and one purpose alone. How can we advance the kingdom of God and see more people come to know him? That's the goal. Each dollar that we give is important. Every dollar that we place in helps someone grow closer to Christ. Every dollar sets an example to our loved ones. My kids, it's important that they hear us talk about tithe, that they hear us talk about offering, that they hear us talk about investing in the kingdom of God. No, they may not ever see me put an offering envelope in the plate because we give online. They may never see that. But you know what? The more that we talk about it at home, the more that they understand, the more that they grasp. Kids are much smarter than we give them credit for. They pick up on a lot more. We've got to continually be showing the next generation and set that example. Every dollar gets credited to our account in heaven. That's what Philippians 4.17 says. Paul said, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. In other words, when we give, it's a great way to leave a faith legacy to our kids. See, time's been invested in, in this whole series, whether it's in studying and you reading the books, talking about it with your family, praying over it, you've invested your finances, maybe wondering how in the world are we going to get through this, trusting that God's going to see you through. But it's time to move toward a decision to believe God's promises and act on our behalf. We've got to ask each and every one of us, do we really believe what God's promises are? I want to read three particular ones to you. Number one, God wants us God wants to give back to us generously. That's what Luke 6.38 says. And it's going to be on the screens, and I want us to read it together. It says to give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. What does that tell us? That God wants to give to us generously. The second promise that we've really looked at is that God wants to provide us with wealth with a wealth of resources for his service. That's what he said in 2 Corinthians 9.11. Again, on your screens, and read it along with me. It says, you will be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. We're going to be enriched in every way, in all generosity. God wants to enrich you in every way. Isn't that good news? I need to be enriched in lots of ways, not just financially, but with smarts and wisdom and understanding and good looks and a head full of hair. Just making sure you're still awake. I want to be enriched in every way, in relationships and knowing people and being known by others. We want to be enriched in everything. Does God want to enrich you financially? Of course he does. But God will do that if your number one goal is to advance the kingdom. He will overflow your blessings. The third one is God wants to pour out material blessings. Malachi 3.10, again on the screens, and read along, says, Bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. I want to tell you a story. We're going to be receiving communion in just a couple of minutes, but I want to tell you a story. And it's one that we've heard before but it's worth telling again. It's a story about a, a cheerful little girl with bouncy golden curls who was almost five years old. She was waiting for her mom at the checkout stand and that's where she saw them. A circle of glistening white pearls and a pink foil box. Oh, mommy, please, please, I just have to have them. Please, please, mommy. 
Quickly, the mother grabbed the box and checked the back for the little foil sticker that says uh, that they cost $1.95. She says, oh, sweetheart, that's nearly $2. If you really want them, I'll think of some extra chores for you. And in no time, you can save enough money to buy them. Your birthday's only a week away, and you might get another dollar bill from your grandma. You never know. Well, as soon as little Jenny got home, she emptied her piggy bank and counted out the pennies, and there were 17 pennies. After dinner, she did more than her share of chores, and she went to her neighbors and asked Miss McJames if she could pick dandelions for 10 cents. On her birthday, Grandma did give her a new dollar, and soon enough, she had enough money to buy that necklace. Jenny loved her pearls. They made her feel all dressed up and grown up. She wore them everywhere. She wore them to Sunday school. She wore them to kindergarten. She even wore them to bed. The only time she would take them off is when it was bath time because, well, her mama told her that they might turn her neck green. Jenny had a very loving father. And every night when she was ready for bed, he would stop by, he would stop whatever he was doing and and come upstairs to read her a story. One night as he finished that story, he asked Jenny, Jenny, do you love me? Oh, yes, Daddy, you know that I love you. Then I want you to give me your pearls. Oh, Daddy, not my pearls. But you can have my princess, the white horse from my collection. You know, the one with the pink tail. Remember, Daddy, the one that you gave me? She's my favorite. That's okay, sweetheart. Daddy loves you. Good night. And he brushed her with a cheek with a kiss. After about, about a week later, after the story time, again, Jenny's daddy said, do you love me? Daddy, you know I love you. He said, then I want you to give me your pearls. She said, oh, daddy, not my pearls, but you can have my baby doll, that brand new one that I got for my birthday. She's beautiful, and you can have the yellow blanket that matches her sleeper. Oh, that's okay, sweetheart. That's okay. You can keep them. Sleep well. Good night. I love you. He would kiss her on the cheek as he headed on downstairs. A few nights later when daddy came in, Jenny was sitting on her bed with her legs crossed Indian style. As he came close, he noticed her chin was trembling and one silent tear began to roll down her cheek. He said, Jenny, what's wrong? What's the matter? Jenny didn't say anything, just lifted up her hand, opened her hand, and inside was the pearls that she had clung to and wouldn't give to her father. And she said, here, daddy, this is for you tears gathered in his own eyes, Jenny's dad reached out with one hand to take the diamond store necklace and with the other hand he reached into his pocket and pulled out a blue velvet case with a strand of genuine pearls that he gave to Jenny. He'd had them all this time. He was just waiting for her to give up the dime store stuff so that he could give her the genuine treasure. Father's doing the same thing. He's waiting on us to give up what we've clung to so that we can have a generous heart and he can replace what we're clinging to with something that's even more valuable. Do you believe this? Do you want to believe each and every one of these is true? And I want to take a moment and pray together. Would you bow your head, close your eyes all across the room? you're here first of all and you'd say Pastor Travis I've been clinging to my dime store stuff my own things that mattered more than anything else and today I'm ready to exchange that
for life with Jesus. I'm ready to accept it. I've allowed sin in my heart, and it's separating me from God. Would you slip up a hand right where you're at? Anybody here this morning? All right. Who else? Okay. Put your hands back down. Anybody else? Hang on just a moment. All right. Today's your day to exchange that stuff, all right? Maybe you're here, you're struggling to be faithful. You're struggling to remain faithful in your walk with Jesus. You're struggling to remain faithful and honoring him with what's his in the first place. You're here and you're just struggling with faithfulness. Would you slip up a hand? You love God, you're not some negligent sin or anything like that. You just remain. Faithfulness has been hard to, to hang on to. Anybody else? Okay. What I'd like for us to all do, just remain seated. I'd like for you to all repeat this prayer after me, whether you raised your hand or you should have. Dear Heavenly Father, I ask you to forgive my sin. I ask you to wash me clean. I ask you to help me to exchange my dime store stuff for what genuinely matters. I ask you, Father, to help me to trust you, to help me to be faithful. When the temptation is overwhelming, to trust in what I have. Help me to remember you have so much more. In Jesus' name, amen. Right now, our ushers are going to come. Have our ushers make their way forward. We're going to distribute the elements for communion today. Mr. Carl, if you come help us. Yeah, come on, guys. Come on, Lula. You guys will take those and just begin to distribute them to everybody. These are real simple. Again, it's just two layers that we're going to peel off. While they're distributing them and you're receiving them, here's what I want us to remember. The reason why we can have the joy of generosity, the reason why we can have a life of faithfulness to the Lord is because Jesus was faithful first. Jesus demonstrated his faithfulness to us in this, that he laid down his life to us. He gave, you guys can go ahead and distribute those elements, okay, go ahead. He gave his life, he shed his blood, he sacrificed his own life so that we would have an example of what it means to be faithful to him. So as they're distributing them, I want you to sing this song with the worship team. It's the same song it's ever been. I want us to just, just sing.